Welcome, my lords, to the White City, where you will learn more about Middle-earth and discover differences and similarities between the Rings of Power show and Tolkien's books, and whether Amazon's show, episode by episode, is worth watching. I'm Philip Dutt, your host, and I'll be joined by Matt Vandervoort. I hope you enjoy. It's Phil and Matt back with the White City Podcast. Hello. Yeah, we just watched the episode two of the Rings of Power. And we can just like go through this kind of basic outline of what happened, maybe. So starting off, we have Galadriel on the water, right? Yes. She... No. Well, yeah, it starts off with there's the shadow from the water. There's also the hobbits or the harfoots finding right the guy in the meteor is probably gandalf yeah that's right it's the assumption we made that's the assumption we're making and then it went to the elf and the alchemist at the rune village and then it went to elrond and celebrimbor going well talking Eventually they go to the dwarves. They go through and they just show how those develop. Yeah. Still not sure where the one sailor with Galadriel came from. I, I I'm curious to see what they're doing and how far was she supposed to have swung. My assumption was that they're coming from Numenor, and maybe possibly the fall of Numenor has already happened, and they were some survivors, or possibly they're just. Which, if they're going with the the lore as it's established in the books, then either it, it would have to be at least survivors of Numenor because, like, men aren't supposed to sail past Numenor or, like, out of sight of Numenor or something to the west. So either she has swum, like, several hundred miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, or... They're just not going with that, which I think. Well, I don't know. I feel like you can't tell the fall of Numenor after that. Anyways, I don't know. Mm. But yeah, I am curious to see where he came from. I, I think the most interesting plot line this episode was definitely. Probably Gandalf. I know. I feel like it's not a major assumption. I feel like it has to be in the start. Has, I'm right. pretty sure it has to be in his story. I know, that's pretty obvious. Like you were saying, right, we were watching, like, the way he's like blowing on the yeah, um, the lightning bug and all. Like, yeah, just kind of similarity with the, I thought he was doing some moth and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Two towers. It definitely has to be in his story. And I, I think it's Gandalf. Partially because of the moth lightning bug connection. It makes sense for his character that the first people he meets when he comes to Middle Earth are hobbits or proto hobbits or whatever they are. I guess it couldn't be. It couldn't be Saruman because I'm pretty sure in the appendices it talks about Gandalf basically finds the hobbits and everyone else just writes them off and hasn't even heard of them. So I, I think it's Gandalf. It could be one of the blue wizards, but then they're always invoked 
as a pair. So I don't know if they would have come separately. Yeah. So I think it's Gandalf. That makes a lot of sense. It's definitely probably Gandalf. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like Gladriel as an elf probably has a lot of stamina. Definitely some willing suspension of disbelief in the thumb zone in regards to how far elves can swim and other things. I thought it was good overall. I thought it was pretty good overall. So far in these first few episodes, there hasn't been anything that that I've seen and thought, oh, I don't really see how this is fitting with Middle Yeah, they haven't done anything that seems to break lore or stray from the story or anything or stray from any sort of vision too far. I think they've done a pretty good job on it. One of the more interesting plot points is I think that the kid in the village that's like the alchemist's son, I think he's a Nazgul or a witch king or a future Nazgul Mm -hmm. because he has the sword, which I'm guessing is a mortal. Yeah, which is weird that they have a Morgul blade before they introduce. That's the true. That's that's a good point. And maybe it's not a Morgul blade. I mean, it's clearly just an evil sword. It's got Sauron's sigil on it. But definitely, I think that he's going to end up being one of the Nazgul. He'll get a ring. Maybe the sword will somehow get Sauron's attention once Sauron is back. Um, give him a ring and like depending on how long they take the show it could be that he's i don't know he, yeah i guess yeah they could grow him up pretty quickly it's like just like move along but two yeah episodes or something. if they move along the yeah. story pretty quickly then i think that gets definitely going to be one of the school the, the blade definitely is like because like the growing and yeah, like smoking it like grows that. and smokes when it touches his blood. That seems pretty yeah. suspicious. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else it would be. Probably wouldn't be that uh, famous sword from uh, who is it that killed the Balrog? That, oh, like, what was that Balrog? Yeah, Gorfindel kills Godfog. It's definitely not that one. It's sort of implied that. Or hinted that he could have been using Glamdrain, which would make that sword right. have killed two Balrogs. But I don't think this one's Glamdrain. It right. doesn't seem... Yeah, no, it's not elegant. It's, yeah, all, all hints seem to be pointing that it's not a good guy's sword. But you do have to wonder why the alchemist had it under her house. I think I'm wondering if that's why the orcs were tunneling is that they were tunneling towards the blade, which now he's carrying the blade, and wherever they go, they're just going to get attacked by orcs. It doesn't seem like that blade is really... Is is this kind of coming out of nowhere? They're kind of making a story about it. I think it's an original plotline to the series. I don't think they're drawing it from anywhere. Because I can't think of... Really, the only swords that I can think of that carry over from... And Silmarillion and the other books, time period-wise, would be Glamdring and Sting and kind of Narsil. Yeah. 
Narsil, I believe, was said to be forged by some dwarf in the Blue Mountains. So I think Narsil is supposed to be an ancient blade, too, that gets reforged eventually. So, but none of them, there are no weapons that are mentioned to be, like, evil weapons. The one sword I wish they could use, they can't. So they can't bring Gurthay over. Right, that would be... That's Turin's that's that's Is he, sword. Did he kill the dragon? He killed Glarung, yeah. the first dragon. Fun fact, there is a pretty... I don't know how substantially it's supported. And I think it's a fan theory. It might just actually be like a bit of lore that the hill that Turin and his sister and his mother are all buried on survives the breaking of the world and is an island off the coast. Which means that is that and that is that one Numenor is so Numenor is created after they break they destroy Beleriand. Okay. And I think that there's an island on the map. I could be wrong. We don't need to get a copy of the map. But I think there's an island on the map that if you like lay it over where Beleriand is, it roughly matches up with where Turin is buried. Which means that I don't think they can do it because I don't think they have the rights. Yeah. But if they had the rights, you could totally have a story of somebody going and getting Gurfet from his tomb. Which is not going to happen, but I really hope it happens because Turin is the best character and his sword is cool. Yeah. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot like super deep in this episode. Except for Moria. I've always wondered and wanted to see Moria when dwarves are in there. Yeah. You know? It's just cool. So like that that whole idea I think is neat. For anybody who's watched Lord of the Rings, yeah, they're like, "Oh man, this is great!" Because you got you get a little bit of that in the The Hobbit trilogy, which is a shame because it's the Hobbit trilogy. Of you get a little bit of the Lonely Mountain while it's still inhabited by dwarves at the very beginning, but yeah, we never got to see Moria. And even in the books, like you don't get Moria described outside of just some sort of historical anecdotes. So it was very cool to see everything it seems that they were drawing heavily from the the movie's aesthetics was the chairs that they're eating it yeah when he comes in for dinner yeah. and Duran doesn't want to come in for dinner is that they're very reminiscent of the throne in the movies. very angular and i think it's that same sort of green marbled rock so a lot more drawing from the movies and you had an interesting point about the door. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. It, a lot of people were upset that it didn't look like the door in the, in the books and in the original movies. But it might not be the same door. He's that, yeah. Because he never says melon. Melon. Melon, yeah. <laughs> Is that, that how it's spelled? That's, I don't think that's how it's spelled, but that's no, how they like, It's just like... <laughs> Walk up to the dwarves' door, hold up a watermelon. Please let me in. No. <laughs> <laughs> I brought a gift. <laughs> so yeah, so he never says the password. Which hypothetically, if it was that door, and he did say the password, and even is that the no, that would be the right side. 
I don't know. But yeah, I like the idea that it's not the the door. I feel like I've seen a picture from like the fellowship or something of the Moria door that they go through. And yeah. You compare that one to the one in the movie and it's all it not is exactly identical. it's like an yeah, it's yeah. a identical right. reproduction. Because it's one of the few things in the books that Tolkien straight up provides in the text. And so I th- you'd have to think if they had the rights to that image and they wanted it to be that door like the door we have doesn't even look anything like it so i think and, and they would be wanted to connect the dots they would definitely and that'd be one of the easiest things to do yeah i also don't think it's the same door because the door they take and i wonder if we'll see them make that door in the show because the door that you take oh i bet I wonder if it could be part of the repayment of the dwarves for helping them with their project. They remake the door. They remake the door or they build the door on the other side of the mountains because the trip he takes to get into Casa Doom, like in the books and in the original movies, they're traveling for at least a few days through Moria to get there. And yes, it's in the dark. And yes, they're trying to navigate their way through the Elf Guides. But this door seems like it was built right near the city. As opposed... Of elves? Like the elves of the, well, right near the dwarven city on the inside. As opposed oh. to being through a whole mine system to get to the other side. Because if you remember in Fellowship of the Ring, they enter that door. They enter the, the, friend, the friend door. Um, and then they travel for like three or four days through the mines. Mm-hmm. under the mountains and then they get into Casa Doom the city proper and that's where they run from the Balrog and that's where there was Gandalf and that's where the dwarven city was it's not all the way at the other end so it's closer on the other, on the other side yeah because because okay. they fight the Balrog yeah. and then like as soon as they fight the Balrog yeah. they get out yeah and so I just know the they did have a map, though, that panned. They went out, and it showed them travel up. And I thought that was on the, would it be the western side of, the, of that mountain thing. I'm trying to think what, because, okay. But of yeah. course, where it said that they, where it looked like they were saying they traveled was like it, like they were at a place that the elves aren't even there in is what it, it looks yeah. like, is what it looked like because all the elves live west of the misty mountains at this point okay uh, the only major elven well well if we'll see it'd be greenwood the great not Mirkwood yet but if we'll see the elves the wood elves like not say it in legolas's dad friend oh. rule i wonder if we'll see them at all that'd be fun but so all the elves that like came over from Beleriand, like Galadriel and Elrond and Celebrimbor and all of them, they all live on the west side of the Misty Mountains. And so that's the one thing that this just makes sense because Khazad-dûm is on the eastern side, I believe. And the gate that they take is on the western side. Like, the gate that they take in the Lord of the Rings is on the western side. So, unless they cross the mountains... And then went right to the Dwarven City. I don't know. Maybe it's the same door. But I think it's a different door. 
and I hope that we get to see them make the door because that door was made. Also, that door looked like a, a dwarven door. In fact, I think if you look, if you look at the runes that are carved on the door, they're all. I believe they're all dwarven runes. Yeah. And in the fellowship, when they get to the door yeah. into Moria, it's written in Elvish. Right. So it's got to be a different door. Now, is the difference like the Elvish runes are written more flowy? Yeah, it's, and it's a script. Are more like it almost looks like they're like Norse. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Elven script is by Feanor, which they mentioned in this episode because they talk about his hammer that he used to make the Silmarils, which I was surprised that they could talk about the Silmarils if they don't have the rights to the first age stuff. Is one that come up though in the books? They might briefly. Or in the appendices. Maybe in the appendices, but I can't remember. I have, I'll have to go back and check. But I cannot remember them in the appendices. They have to be mentioned. But yeah, so yeah. It's, it's fascinating that I'm curious why they brought the hammer in. Unless that'll come back later. It's got to come back later. Because I, I was... Well, of course, this is from a video game, so this is what I'm thinking, is that in Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Caleb Brimbor, he has his hammer right, yeah, that he yeah, made yeah. the rings with. Yeah. So I thought, is that going to be the same hammer that forges the rings? And I thought that was Caleb Brimbor's hammer. Yeah. Because... I mean, I, I didn't bet. really realize that Vianor had, you know, actually had his hammer to create yeah. the Silmarils. I bet you that will be. Because I think the whole point of this plot is going to be they're building this forge yeah. because Celebrimbor has already been in contact with Marion, I think is what Sauron is calling himself, the Lord of Gifts. And I think they're going to build this tower forge thing and Celebrimbor is going to use Fanor's hammer to craft the three rings outside of Sauron's influence because if you remember in the books and in the movies Sauron helps Celebrimbor yes. make the nine rings and the seven rings and then Celebrimbor makes the three without Sauron's help and Sauron makes the one without Celebrimbor's help or knowledge right and so I wonder if he'll use the hammer to make all the rings, or if he'll use the hammer to make those three rings, aside from Sauron's help, which will sort of tie them into how the hammer made the three objects that Morgoth wanted more than anything else. This hammer will make the three objects that Sauron really wants more than anything else. Because that's the whole thing in, in the books, is that Sauron doesn't really have as strong of a hold over the elven rings because they weren't tainted by him. Mm -hmm. So he can't really, partially because the elves are so incorruptible and part well, sort of. Yeah. Well, if you've read the Silmarillion, you know they're pretty corruptible yeah. over time. I think part of the reason is that the elves are more resistant, but also the, the rings didn't have Sauron's power in them. And so they can't, he can't influence them as strongly. Like I mentioned when we started this episode, it really seems like they want to make a Silmarillion show, but they can't. So I'm wondering if a lot of the bride story beats in this show will sort of mirror the Silmarillion in that 
three items that Sauron wants made by Feanor's hammer. Three items that Morgoth wanted made by Feanor. And so on and so forth. So far, we haven't really seen any... Other than the alchemist, I guess. And now the guy on the raft. We don't really have many significant human characters. Although, there was the ship at the end. Yeah. I'm holding out for a Numenorean ship. I want to be a Numenorean ship. It was black, which... Given Gondor's heraldry, they might kind of go for that sort of. It was black with like white, creamy okay. accents. So I think it's a Numenorean ship. Yeah, should be really cool if she goes to Numenor. That'd be pretty cool. Anyways, now were there a time, like points in the episode, where you thought, "Oh, like I'm not exactly sure where they're going with this." Like it was kind of like a. Honestly, kind of misleading or honestly not fuzzy. really in this yeah. episode. I thought this episode was pretty straightforward. I don't see this episode as being a particularly memorable one once the whole series is done. I think the reason they released two episodes is the first one was obviously meant to draw you in. Oh, we get to see Galadriel and we get to yeah. see Elrond and you see these big cool moments. And then this, I think this episode was more of, hey, this is what it'll be like. Sort of standard par for the course kind of story. Which is good, because I like it's it's less character-driven. It's not that it's not character-driven, but it seems to be a more standard fantasy adventure than compared to something like Game of Thrones that's very politics and interpersonal relationships and all that sort of thing yeah which is fine for that kind of show but i think this is sort of an attempt to get back to this but you know what we've got good we've got evil we've got swords and we're just having a grand old fantasy time with swords and magic which is refreshing because i think i'm hoping they don't go too far and like Trying to subvert expectations. I'm thinking that the way the two these two episodes have gone, like, like they're doing pretty good. Yeah, so far I've been impressed. So, yeah, of course it's just episode two, but I mean, yeah, yeah I yeah, think yeah. for a lot of things you can tell like how things are going. Yeah, by episode two, there's still things I know people have talked about that aren't that haven't happened yet. With that, I, I guess wait wait to see what happens then. But yeah. I'm pretty happy with it though. Yeah. So far. I'm not happy with the hairstyles. <laughs> Celebrimbor and Elrond don't look like elves. They look like Steve from Stranger Things. <laughs> so far, at least for the male characters, so far, it's been like the taller they are, the worse their hairstyle has been. And I I mean I say that it's really only been Celebrimbor and Elrond. But their hair, I don't know what they're doing with that, but the Hobbit chieftain guy's hair, great. <laughs> the dwarves, the dwarves hair, love it. One thing with the dwarf hair is, I swear, I don't remember the dwarf's name in the movie, but Durin's hair in his oh, face yeah, look exactly like one of the dwarves. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. That's another thing. They, they, I think they nailed the dwarves. I think they nailed though in terms of how they look and personality wise, like 
Durin is hilarious in that he just is being really stubborn about a really minor thing, which is very dwarvish. But they, they also, unlike the elves, which I will probably bring up in every episode probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Unlike Elrond and Celebrimbor, all of the dwarves look like you could have you could put any of them in the background of any of the movies. And they'd fit. And they'd fit perfectly. I think that's because dwarven designs tend to be a little bit more outlandish. Elves are just, you know, graceful, slender, flowy humans, basically, in terms of how they look. At least that's how I tend to imagine them and how they were portrayed in the movies. And dwarves are just so much fun. I think it helps that you had the Hobbit movies that visually worked very well. So visually you have all the dwarves and with the 13 12 dwarves 13 dwarves in Thorin's company they all were given very specific designs and so you have a lot of outlandish designs that you can then fit your dwarves into. I will say they did go, and I mean this is fine TV show, but they did lean a little bit on the, you know, the more visually distinctive character being the main character. Because you look when they're all coming in to the weird rock smashing contest thing, they all look pretty much like different but similar. And then Durin comes in with his flaming hair and beard, and it's like, ah, he is the main character. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so so far I give the dwarves dwarf designs an A. I give the Hobbit designs an A. I give most of the elves like a B and Elrond and Kelbrimbor. Just give them long hair. I don't know why. Like that works in the movies. And that works in just like my imagination. I don't know what they're doing making them look like they would belong in a skate rink in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's my little rant about the hair. Right. I guess for the fans and other people who have like heard that the show may be woke, at this point, that's not the case. Yeah. So that's how it hasn't happened. And that's like one thing I've wanted to see if it actually like because you know people have like had the assumption oh because of some things that are being suggested that's happening then um and who knows like all of it's actually true like oh it must be it might be woke so that that's just one thing like hey at this point it hasn't happened yeah. that way and another yeah. thing would be is that like. Anything like risque also has to come up. Yeah. Which I feel like if you're going to, it hooks people. That's, and yeah. that's the point of that stuff. So they would be putting that in there early on. Like, at least I would feel like that, something like that would happen more like it, yeah. especially in the first season. If nothing happened yeah. in the first season, I'd be very happy. Yeah. Um, I saw the first couple of episodes of the new Game of Thrones show and there were scenes that I had to skip over. And I think that it was heavier in the first episode because they're trying to draw people in. So I don't think that that's going to... I think if we haven't seen it by now, they're not going to do it. And I honestly would say that the show is at a point right now that 
if you're concerned about the woke sort of thing. Even if some of it does come in later, I think it's at a point where like that, for me, that's not really that big of a concern at this point because so far they seem to have been handling it very well. Yeah. If it's going to be like, for instance, like a drop of an army of women here, and how much, how, yeah. yeah. And how much of it are they actually going to ruin? Like they can still keep yeah storyline I mean, good. Yeah, yeah. I think my indication of it is I, again, I haven't seen anything outside of the show about it but i think that if they were to do it i think they're gonna handle this tastefully if there is something like an army woman or something like that mm. i think they would put it in in such a way that yeah it might not match perfectly well with tolkien but i personally i don't think i would be very distracted by it or concerned by it yeah it doesn't feel like they're making this show to try and push an agenda. It feels okay. like they're making yeah. this show to make the show because they like the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And so anything, I don't think they would then make any part of the show that's just, oh, we're going to put in this army of women just to have it just because we want to look so woke or whatever. Yeah. I think that if they were going to do something, like that, they would try to fold it into the story in such a way that it isn't yeah. too obvious that it's just like, look, guys. So I'm pretty optimistic about it at the moment. Again, it's only two episodes in, but I'm pretty optimistic that if they do end up going in that direction, that it will not be like too jarring. As I said before, the bid that Amazon made against Netflix, basically, yeah, was the highest bid ever. I'm pretty sure on any on any TV show, yeah, that was that's ever been made. And then since then, they've spent more money on it than any TV show. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, it's the biggest biggest okay. budget like any TV show. Research. I, need you oh. I have no idea anything about production. That's one thing where. Like, especially since, you know, things about, things about it being risque or inappropriate in that way. They were saying that, hey, this, like, we're actually not doing this. And a lot of it actually seemed, like, reasonable. And for something that started a petition against it, someone else starting to see, okay, wait a second. This kind of stuff, we just felt like it was going away. And then eventually when they actually came out with something like TV14, it wasn't there. Yeah. And yeah. And through all that, after the petition, what I realized is like, okay, even in the midst of all this, they've spent a whole ton of money on this and a, yeah. and a ton of time. So if it's not like, it has to be decent in the least, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's been five years and people yeah. have been on their toes, like getting ready, excited. Yeah. They're not going to blow it and completely get rid of the big fans, yeah. even though the big fans are the ones who are most critic, crit critical yeah. of it. And they're going to, they're going to really get the people who are like in the middle. Yes, I think they're going to do that. And I am I am optimistic about this show. I personally just want to be optimistic. I really want this show to succeed for a couple of reasons. I think honestly the biggest one is, and this is, because the biggest fantasy show over the last decade was Game of Thrones. And I've, yeah. I've seen a couple of the episodes of the new show. I never watched Game of Thrones 
but I followed a lot of what was happening in Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones has a lot of... It, it's a dark show. It's a very grim, dark fantasy story in a lot of ways. And I think it fell flat on its face at the end because it was kind of grim, dark. And they wanted you to... They didn't want to engage with traditional fantasy tropes. And... I think that's a big reason why it fell flat on space is because I think people just got tired of it and you can only have a depressing world for so long. And when you, if you end your show unsatisfactorily, which talking to a lot of people I know that did see the show and just following what happened, it was incredibly, even I was unsatisfied with it and I hadn't even seen it. Um, and so I think that if you have a show like Lord of the Rings, which is set in a world with rules, with the fundamental understanding that there is good and there is evil and good will triumph over evil. And you're not worried about things like, you know, the in breakdown of the economics of a particular area or the political drama at the court in Mias Tirith or things like that. Yeah. I think this show is poised to provide that sort of hopeful, heroic fantasy that a lot of people in the last few years have just been kind of like people have been pushing for more realistic fantasy. And it's just like, okay, first of all, why do you want realistic fantasy? But secondly, I think people are tired of just sort of dark storylines and subversion of expectations. And I think part of that has to do with the pandemic. Like people don't want depressing <laughs> stories because the last several years have been very depressing. Um, and so I'm very hopeful that this show will succeed based on and not because of, and not in spite of the fact that it does tell a straightforward good versus evil story. Um, and you can still have sort of dark moments yeah. in the show. I mean, Lord of the Rings is, it's a hopeful story, but it's a very dark story. The Silmarillion, they're drawing a lot of, as much as they can, is an incredibly depressing story, if you really think about it. Because yeah. it's basically the story of elves failing at everything they do for several hundred years. Yeah. And even like even my favorite character, Turin, he has possibly the most depressing story in all of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, all the legendarium, but it's yeah. still there's still an element of it that's slightly hopeful and slightly even in that very depressing story, Turin is very clearly the hero, and he's very clearly the good guy, sort of. He's on the side of good overall. Yeah. He's not, even he's even kind of an anti-hero. Yeah, amidst his flaws, he's kind of yeah. an anti-hero. But he's still, you know, there. Most of the characters in the Silmarillion are at their core good. Whereas, and they are fighting. Certainly, the things that Torin is fighting are evil. And I just think that's a refreshing turn from the last decade or so of storytelling that's been very much oh. You can't just have something evil. And it's just like, I understand the sort of complexities of, well, in the real world, most fights, most wars, they're like counter games, of course, but most conflicts haven't really been 
an objectively good side versus an objectively bad side. Most conflicts have had uh, moral complexities to them because people are complex creatures. But I think you can admit that in the real world there are complexities while also saying, but you know what? I just want to see some objectively good heroes beating the crap out of an objectively evil Dark Lord and his forces. Especially after the last decade or so of more ambiguous situations, and especially after <laughs> the last few years of everything has been horrible, I just want something to be helpful. Anyways. Yeah, it's, it's a good takeaway. Yeah. Um, and I think this is gonna, I think that's the direction they're going, which I'm I'm mm-hmm. glad about. Yeah. It's interesting to think about different decisions I've had about watching this show, you know, like this gonna be risque. I'm like thinking I I don't think I can watch it, you know? Like just because of my conviction about starting this petition that I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing was like I'm gonna watch it just to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It was like I don't know. Because again, like I said last time, I don't think I don't think even if it does go in a direction I don't like, I don't think I'm gonna be that upset about it because again, I'm in no way taking this to be a canon part of the books or right. Tolkien's lore. It's somebody's it, it's essentially somebody's fan fiction about this. Because right. it's not like Star Wars is like movies. So like yeah. anything you make on Star Wars as a movie is gonna become be, canon, yeah. Yeah. This is just, yeah, this is an adaptation. It's an adaptation and it's somebody's like, oh, this is cool. And again, by the very nature of the fact that they don't have all the rights, they can't make completely accurate, completely lore friendly sort of show because there are just some things that, even though they have been making a lot of references to it, there are some things from the film really that they just cannot use. And therefore... They could not tell a story that actually makes sense in the time period it's set. And so, yeah, I get, so again, even if they go completely off book and make it something that wouldn't fit with Tolkien, it already doesn't fit with Tolkien. <laughs> so I, I can't, I just cannot, I, I cannot justify spending the energy to be mad about it because, well, okay, somebody's fan fiction went in the direction I didn't like. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm just going to go keep enjoying the books and I can continue to enjoy the movies because they made these movies long before this. So it's not like they're incorporating anything. I'm optimistic about the show and I'm not planning on getting upset about it too much, I guess, is the way I'm looking at it. So, right. Anyways. Yeah, like, yeah, it's things that I've thought about with just like the whole Middle Earth lore is how long it's been around, how detailed it is. Yeah. How it how it seems like all fantasy that is kind of like the sword, dragons. Oh yeah. Fantasy it, is building on it it's is. like trying to be like Absolutely. Everything everything all, all modern fantasy not all, but what most people think of as modern fantasy comes from two places. It comes from Lord of the Rings, and it comes from Dungeons and Dragons. And most of Dungeons and Dragons came from Lord of the Rings. So 
Um, it's, it's all based on those sorts of tropes that were codified by Tolkien. You can go back. There is fantasy that happened before him, but it is much closer to fairy tales. Um, I took, I took a fantasy literature class yeah. in college. That was very cool. But like uh, Beowulf, that kind of thing. Well, or... yeah, Beowulf is sort of the earliest. I don't even know if you consider that fantasy because, like, at the time, it's just like legend. George MacDonald's fantasies and um, the King of Elfland's daughter and things like that that are um, and Arthurian legend also. And so it's yeah. a lot of times it's things that deal with the Fae and it's things that deal with um, sort of knights going out on mysterious quests, which I mean is a lot of modern fantasy as well, but it's much more like you're not going to have like pre-Tolkien elves were like Santa's elves. They're like these little mischievous spirits that mm-hmm. run around doing things. And then Tolkien comes along and he writes his elves as these, you know, elegant, magical, deeply spiritual creatures that are more similar to, like, the fair folk. And, uh, yeah, you get those sorts of things. And so Tolkien, Tolkien changes it so that it's less sort of slightly sinister fairy tales to where it's very much this epic storytelling device sort of thing. And so everything that comes after Tolkien is in some way either in conversation with Tolkien or a continuation of his style or like deviating from his source. Like every subversion of fantasy tropes is the tropes they are subverting are the tropes in the Lord of the Rings. The things that, when you think of an elf, when you think of a dwarf, when you think of a halfling, or something like that, these are all Tolkien's ideas of them that you are then subverting. Like, the biggest subversion that's become almost recognized as its own, well, has been recognized as its own trope, is orcs. So, you have... Tolkien's orcs that are just evil um, monsters to mow down. Although I will note, there have to be some good orcs in Tolkien's works because in the in the description of the Battle of the Last Alliance, it says that the only group of people that were wholly on one side were the elves, and every other people of Middle Earth there were some fighting on both sides, which means that there were at least a few orcs that were fighting against Sauron. So there are good orcs somewhere out there yeah. in Tolkien's stories. But that's the thing, is that in Tolkien's stories, orcs are almost always evil. And in more modern fantasy stories, you can have good orcs, like mm-hmm. mostly in video games. So you have like World of Warcraft and Skyrim and things like that, where they're not always evil. Again, that's sort of from the outside observer, unless you're in those sorts of communities and know those sorts of stories, that is still seen as a sort of subversion of the general understanding of the tropes because they all come from Tolkien. I can't remember where we started with that. You know, that's right. No, that was, that was a good trend. We're just, yeah, we we're talking about details. Like, the yeah, details. Even going to like the letters. But we can. 
we could go all day with that stuff. We really should. Um, so, yeah, so definitely, definitely watch the first two episodes. Yeah. It's definitely good. Two thumbs no up. With that. Yeah. <laughs> Early. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. Thanks for visiting the White City. Before you leave, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at thewhitecitypodcast.com. Consider supporting my movement on Facebook, keeping the rings of power pure.